Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Prez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I defy explanation. Which makes you basically a DC hero and or villain, because that's just kind of how they roll, isn't it? No, they're all quite exculpable. I don't get what people's problem is. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about comic books. That'll be another podcast somewhere down the line, I am sure. Instead, we're here to talk about lore in Blizzard games. Uh, We're going to be answering more of your questions, since we definitely have a uh, cavalcade of them to go through. Uh, So if you do have questions for this podcast or the other one, be sure to send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you don't want to send us an email, you can go ahead and send uh, questions over on Discord. Actually, many of these did come from Discord. We have a channel set aside specifically for Patreon supporters. Uh, So if you are a Patreon supporter, go ahead and toss it in there. Uh, We try to give those a little bit more of a a top billing just because, well, you're supporting us on Patreon. It's our way. One of our many ways is trying to say thank you. Uh, But if you don't have Patreon, which we understand times are tough for everyone, uh, you can put them into our Q and podcast question section. Uh, And yeah, we'll go ahead and take a look at those and answer them as we can. Uh, Our first question today comes from Sacramu, which I absolutely love that name. I'm sorry. Every time I see it, it makes me smile. Uh, Not so much a question as an observation that might be helpful to listeners. Curious thing I found today. There's a Runeforge in the Maldraxxus Covenant Hall for DKs. I don't know that this is the case for the other Covenant Halls. I actually don't know. I don't remember seeing one in Ardenweald at all. Um, I would imagine that there's probably not one in... There's not uh, one in Bastion that I can, I've seen. And I don't think there's one in Revendreth, because I don't think my druids run across it at all. Which, I mean, it's sort of on brand, right? Because we, we've we always been speculating that runeforging, that the Death Knight's sort of runeforging has always been a Maldraxian carryover, or something that was taken from uh, looking in at Maldraxxus. Uh, which, I mean, it makes sense to me, right? Are you looking for me to say yes? Because yes, <laughs> or, or any other input. I mean, could you make a case for any of the other ones to actually have a runeforge anywhere? I mean, you know, obviously runeforging is something the Primus did. It's a big part of, of Maldraxxus's covenant, its culture. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the other covenants, so I wouldn't expect one. Yeah, but there you go. If you are a Death Knight and uh, looking for a covenant choice that is, you know, going to keep you from having to go back with your Death Gate to do your runeforging, there's one in Maldraxxus for you. Um, our next one comes from Ferentis. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, because there's a lot of P's in there. Uh, question for Low Watch. I'm sure the short answer is, we don't know, but why do you think there are rock lords in Bastion? Thanks. That is something we we kind of talked about a little bit. There are, does seem to be a smattering of elementals throughout the uh, entirety of Shadowlands. Um, you spent more time in Bastion than I have. Are there actual, like, what's the deal with the, the rock lords there? Do you interact with them? Is there any story with it? I mean, they're just big rock things. Uh, I didn't 
they're, they look like the giants from Azeroth. They look just like them. Uh, specifically, like remember the old days when you went to as as Shara to do the Death Knight quest guy. You you were looking for him, and he was off in, in like a little portion of Ashara, and then you had to go find the giant's poop. Mm. Like it's seriously, I'm not. I know this. You, you guys listening to me thinking, okay, Rossi's finally lost it. Finally, okay. No, there's always a poop quest. There's always no. A poop this this quest. happened. Uh, it's the same model, and I think it's one or two possibilities. One is that at you know the the Shadowlands are still made out of elemental material. And thus have elementals living in them. That's one possibility. The other is, is that this is where elementals go when they die. Uh, keep in mind that the giants from Azeroth, I, I, they're kind of intermediate between being elemental beings and being something else. Uh, so the, there's, some of the giants were made by the titans, but some weren't. It could possibly be that since that's the case, maybe that the elemental lords, the, the elementals in Shadowlands are being made by the various... Uh, members of the Pantheon of Death. Maybe they make their own, too, for their own reasons. I couldn't tell you. But they're definitely there. Although it does I mean, sort of ask, like, to me, it, it started me thinking about some questions that I have about elementals then at that point, and you sort of touch on it. Maybe this is where they go when they die. I don't know we actually understand or know what happens when elementals die. I don't think that's ever been explained. Uh, and even if we're taking them out on the elemental planes like we did in, in Firelands in their little prison uh, realm or prison, I guess, plane of existence, even if like they're just trapped within that plane, is it because it's the prison plane or is it because uh, they can't go anywhere else? Or do they, if they weren't in that prison plane, would they actually go to the cycle and wind up having their anima sort of consumed or reshaped or whatever in the Shadowlands? Because it's never been explained what happens to them. We've, I think a lot of folks have always just assumed that it was part of Azeroth. And so if you were to you know, kill an elemental or destroy an elemental's form, that it would just go back to whatever the natural order of elementals is. But I, I can't... And there's a whole thing... Well, the thing is, giants in Azeroth, which includes the beings that the rock lords look like, aren't elemental, exactly. They're made by the keepers, and it was part of the uh, ordering of Azeroth that they be created, which implies that other giants that exist in other places might also be titan creations. And we know that Titan creations use elemental forces. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just... They made all the elemental planes that we currently see in Azeroth. They made all of them and put the various elemental beings on those planes. And that's something that might have something to do with the nature of these various giants. Because, And now compare them to the ones we see in Outland. Because we see giants in Outland and they look very similar. Mm -hmm. And they're part of the Breakers. Oh, and yeah. That's, and even, even, in, like, even in Draenor, right? Like, Yeah. So in AU Draenor, we have like the the Magnaron and sort of that whole whole thing. So I mean, there is there is a possibility that there's more going on with them than we understand. I mean, actually, that's probably more than a possibility. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get more information on it because it seemed like Cataclysm would have been the perfect place to to sort of dive into that lore a little bit more. Um, when we were actually traveling to like Deep Home and uh, why, why can't I think of the water place now? Oh year. yeah, because we we never actually get get to go there except in the dungeon, the abyssal something or other. Yeah, the the the, the abyss in Vashir. Uh, like we never like we never got to fully explore that, and we know that there was supposed to be uh, back then there was supposed to be content that did center around that a little bit more than it than it did. But it seemed like that would have been the greater opportunity to kind of get into more of the nitty gritty of elementals. Although I kind of hope it's something that gets revisited at some point, uh, just because I would love a more in-depth or more canonical explanation of what the heck goes on with elementals and what they are and what their deal is and tied with Azeroth. Because like you said, they, they exist on other planets. They exist in other realities. So maybe there's more there than we know. Maybe it is, like you said, they're the ones that were created by the Watchers. Maybe there's an equivalent somewhere else, or maybe that's why it was done. Who knows? Um, our next one comes from Sal XS. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Parentheses, tinfoil hat. Do you think it's significant that there are seven titans, Amanthul, Sargeras, Agamar, Anar, Kazgroth, Norganon, and Golgoneth, and six eternal ones, the Arbiter, Carestria, Winter Queen, Denathrius, Primus, and Zoval? I'd have thought that maybe there's a correlation between each titan and an eternal one, but I'm not a lore expert. The missing eternal one could be Elune, maybe? Question mark. Um, 
And there's a caveat here. Before Matt thinks that we don't have enough info, but I think it's suspicious that both the Titans and the Eternal Ones are incredibly close in numbers. Anyway, keep up the good work, Matt and Joe. I've been listening since the podcast that should not be named is. Um, I'll let Matt go because we kind of talked about this a little bit offline, but... Okay, I'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks, thanks for letting me go. Joe's going to handle the rest <laughs> of the show, everybody, and uh, I'll see you next week. No. Um, well, first off, that's only the Titans of the Pantheon. That's not all Titans. We know there are more Titans than that because we see one. Mm-hmm. Argus, who was the one that was going to be born when inside the planet Argus. And much Azeroth has one going on there, too. And the now one you're that to, Sargeras destroyed, too, right? Yeah, at least that's at least three. And there may be more. We don't know. but So I don't think you can use the number there as the final number of Titans. Uh, and the six Eternal Ones, seven members of the Pantheon thing, I mean, sometimes they just, that's, it's a, it's a fair enough number. I don't think that they were going for anything there. Uh, cause if they were, I don't think Elune is an eternal one. I don't know what she is, but the eternal ones seem very limited to the Shadowlands. They seem related to the Shadowlands. Uh, when I think of the Shadowlands, each, each of the, the problem we have is that we don't know, like we're, we're going to find out more about the actual origin of the Shadowlands in 9.1. We're going to see a part of the Shadowlands that was lost, essentially, that's getting dragged back into the Maw. And it's really giving me like weird feelings about the Maw itself. I think Joe has talked about this before, but I keep wondering if the Maw is the original Shadowlands. If that's the place that people went before, and it was destroyed in some conflict. Something happened. And it if you look at the Maw, it's, it's obviously fragmented. If the, the Jailer is reaching out with these chains and dragging some forgotten realm back down and connecting it to the maw that implies there's other places that are that were once part of the maw perhaps all those shadow lands were once part of the maw yeah and it also begs the question of like, i was gonna say and also like that would also give a good explanation of why the maw is sort of the default right because like that's what's happening right now there's no redirection going on so all the souls going to the maw by default like why is that a thing if the maw wasn't the original Shadowlands? so sorry keep going Man, I took an opportunity to eat some ice cream because you were talking. <laughs> Interrupt me, and then you don't have the decency to go on for a while so I can finish that mouth. <laughs> All right. But like I said, that I mean, there's signs of conflict. There's structures in the Maw that seem to mirror structures in other places. It, it does seem like within the realm of pop- Because if you look at it, too, if you go to, like, say, Ardenweald, there's chunks of Ardenweald floating off the coast of itself. Like, there's little island bits just, just away from Ardenweald. And it, it does, to me, feel an awful lot like... You could you could basically make the case that every realm in the Shadowlands is like fragmenting and, and breaking up, and if they're all fragments from this original piece, that would explain you know there's like weird portals. If you think about Orbos, Orbos is this like eternal place that has all these portals to all these uh, these realms, and it's like literally seems to have infinite ones. Was it built to try and recreate an original physical connection? Was there once a place? That these places all were, and then they had to, you know, I mean, how do they all know about them? How, do, how does every Shadowland seem to know, to be known about? How do they know where all the, of them are? Unless originally they were all part of the same thing. I mean, that's just one possibility, but it's something that comes to mind. Yeah, and it also it begs the question of, like, with the whole new realm being pulled into the Maw 2, uh, that's after uh, the Jailer gets that rune right like after it's returned to him after that power is given back to him in some capacity that and he refers to it as a key almost that at that point then that lost realm is able to be pulled back in and looking at some of the life that's there there might be more to it as like what you're saying where everything was part of a whole uh, but going back to the root of the question I don't know that there's any significance in the number of titans or the number of eternal ones specifically lore wise a lot of times and anybody who's created a world or created a pantheon of gods uh any of the old school dnds or dnd dms out there who have done homebrew stuff like this there comes a point where you just figure out what are the important aspects that you want to tell a story about and then you can uh, ascribe a god to it. So if you look at like the Pantheon, the reason that there was seven is because those are the aspects that they wanted to tell the story around. Uh, time, life, earth, uh, warrior, 
like things like that, like that there were, they filled a specific niche. And if they wanted to tell more aspects of that story, they'd introduce more. If they wanted to tell less aspects of that story, they'd introduce less. It's sort of the same thing with the Eternal Ones, right? You have Bastion, which is this order and giving up of self and this sort of selfless duty. So you have Kyrestria, you have Ardenweld, where you have this cycle of almost like mutation of life, uh, this building beauty out of death, uh, very almost like Victorian-esque style sensibility there. Then you have the Winter Queen. Then you have uh, Denathrius, who tells that story of excess and sin and pride. Uh, You have the Primus, which is, is again, loyalty to duty, but strength through conflict. Then you have the Jailer and the Arbiter, which we still don't know the full thing with the Arbiter, let alone the Jailer. The Jailer's story is still being revealed to us. All we know is that he is a prisoner in this realm of the Maw. He's stuck there, was sealed away by his friends or by his, essentially, family, his, his you know, equivalent of the others, uh, and was placed there never to be done anything with again he was supposed that was supposed to be the obulet for him but we don't even know what he did we have no we still don't have any idea like here we are getting ready for patch 9.1 and we still don't know what his crime was we don't know why he was shut away and what part of that story is we don't know why the arbiter was placed in the position of judging souls or if even if it is judging souls or if it's just a matter of placing them where the soul will be most effective, like going through a box of batteries and finding out what charge is left on each of them and then putting it in the right device to get the maximum life out of it, which almost seems kind of what the Arbiter was doing, because those are two aspects of the story we don't know yet. But there is also the opportunity to introduce more. And we've talked about this beforehand, where, you know, going back to the idea of the Shadowlands being this shattered, fractured place, we don't know what it looked like before that. We don't know what it looked like before the Shadowlands took its current incarnation because that story hasn't been revealed to us yet. And then we have the wild card of the brokers involved in this as well. The brokers, who seem to be able to travel throughout the entirety of the Shadowlands unfettered, uh, can go to different worlds, can very clearly go to the the material plane, since they're pulling things from the material plane uh, into shadow the Shadowlands for whether it's arena combat or selling them to the highest bidder or what we're going to see in the next patch where they have an entire... Uh, mega dungeon sort of city where it's a marketplace where they have all these things that are not just specific to the Shadowlands, but have they interacted with other Eternal Ones? You go up to Oribos, you look outside where all those doors are. We know that there's more doors. You can see them. Those doors are gateways that lead to other realms. Are there other Eternal Ones that preside over each of those realms? Or are all those realms unordered in sort of a natural chaos uh, that, you know, sort of isn't checked and and held in place like the Eternal Ones do over their small uh, pieces of the Shadowlands. And then we do know that those individual Eternal Ones all shape the land around them. And I go back to the, the Winter Queen a lot, because when the story is told where she just woke up there in Ardenweld, she didn't know why she was born, but she knew what her purpose was when the first soul arrived. But the land is hers. That realm is hers. And maybe the limitation on the land is how far the power of those particular eternal ones extends. Like, that's why there's islands floating off to the side of Ardenweld that kind of look like Ardenweld, but are sort of separate. Like, when you do the the other side dungeon and you go to the one section with the broker that made the deal of Bwamsamdi, it's an Ardenweld chunk. You know, you can still see, like, the swirls of the great trees and, and everything else there, but it's its own chunk. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And very clearly, the Winter Queen doesn't have any anything to do with it, or, or at least doesn't care about it. Why? You would think that if it's her realm, she would want to have control over it, or, you know, especially if it's a squatter like the Broker, which we've seen the Winter Queen doesn't like squatters. She doesn't like people coming into her, her territory and messing things up uh, once she realizes they're there. But... Yeah, so maybe there's more out there. Maybe there are more Eternal Ones. Maybe six is just what we've been shown so far, because that's all the story that is necessary right now. And that may change. It may change in 9.1. We may find out that they're, uh, when we're going to, I cannot remember the name of the land that we're going to, and I apologize. 
Um, but when we go there, maybe we find out that there was an eternal one or an ancient one or whatever they want to call themselves of that pantheon that existed, that when they ceased to exist, that realm was lost. Or maybe it was under the influence of somebody else and they lost control of it because their power wasn't strong enough. Who knows? But in the next patch, we're going to start to learn a little bit more about that. But I, I think I think putting too much significance on the numbers right now without anything to tell us that there is significance, I don't want to say it's it's not a path worth following. It's not a path worth following Just right don't, now. Don't. It's not that it's not a path worth following. Just don't get to don't don't start a whiteboard in your house and start you know drawing, you know six seven. What is the connection and circling it? You know, d- the Pepe take it easy here. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not you're not you're not here yet. We're, we're it's an interesting thing to notice, but that's all it is at the moment. Until we get more about the nature of these beings and the or, and we might not even get enough of it because. The story we're telling in this expansion is not the story of the origin of the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. So whilst we might get enough information, we might not. I mean, you're ta- think, think about the fact that you're talking about the Titans who have existed in game lore since before War- World of Warcraft started, and we still don't know how many of them there actually are. Mm-hmm. Because it's not important. It doesn't... The, the fact that there might be other Titans out there somewhere in the cosmos doing their own thing doesn't affect the story we're telling. And so it doesn't come up. Like, there might be... We, we now know, thanks to Shadowlands, we know there are other worlds out there with other beings living on them. Some of them know who Elune is. Does that mean that there were other Titans out there in the cosmos somewhere? Possibly an old god came to that world. Perhaps there was a Titan on it. Perhaps that world was a, a, a world soul being born, and that's why the old god appeared on it. And that's why they had to create, pray to Elune and create a night warrior to destroy it. But we don't know. And that's the kind of thing that we might never know. This is stuff that it might never come up. It'll just always be a tantalizing possibility. Which is so, which is fine yeah. too. We've we I mean you can go back to our interview with uh, with Steve. That's not something that they're above doing because it yeah. serves the purpose, right? Like, yeah. The point is to tell the story that they're telling, not you know exactly. They, if it if it allows for future stories down the road, great. But they're working on something right now, so keep an eye on it. Maybe something will come out of it. Maybe not. All right. I think that's enough on that one. So we're going to move on to our next one here, which is from our good friend Tetsemi. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Uh, vacation expansion. No world-ending threat, just a lot of cleanup. What system would you introduce that's not a reskin of the mission table, but might allow you to make a progress in a zone, transforming it as the story goes forward, a bit like 5.1? And what story do you tell to keep everyone engaged? The thing is, is that you don't, you don't have to have a world-ending threat to have a big threat. Um, Ragnaros wasn't going to end the world. He was possibly going to wipe out a whole bunch of stuff, but we went into Molten Core to fight that guy, not because he was going to end the world, but because A, he was a jerk who was doing bad stuff. I mean, jerk, obviously, you know, that's that's somewhat juvenile language, but you know what I'm saying. He was a, a threat. And secondly, for stuff. Adventurers will do a lot for stuff. Uh, it, it feels like sometimes World of Warcraft has kind of lost the fact that you could do a D&D type story where there's a threat and it has stuff. Those two things combined are like catnip. Mm-hmm. Like stuff? You know, you know, look at, look at you know, for all that the lore of all these things throughout the years has gotten bigger and bigger, we're still going in there after stuff. Battle of the Czar lore, players were still trying to get stuff. You know, I mean, loot drops in, in raids. Uh, I think you could go pretty far. Just by by having, you know, okay, he's the evil pirate king who's raided a thousand ships and has built himself a vast, you know, a vast array of treasures, you know, some from, you know, from thousands of years ago, things that have been lost to history, have never been seen before, weapons and armor, and you can take it from him. Sign me up. Uh, you know, a lot of players would be would totally be down for that. You don't need to justify that he's going to destroy the world. He's He's a pirate king. He does bad pirate stuff and he's got loot. Okay, um, you know I'm fine with that. Oh, and behind the pirate king is the mysterious Kraken, Kraken lady. What is her deal? I don't care. She's got stuff. I mean, you know, that's to a certain degree, you don't have to have the, the expansion's big story be motivated by, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. You know, part six. Because at some point it gets tiring, right? Like, we have been stumbling from world-ending threat to world-ending threat since Kata? Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, yeah, Wrath, definitely Wrath. I mean. 
Burning Crusade, the threat wasn't really, it was kind of amorphous. Like, oh, the black port, the dark portal opened again. Let's go in there before anything comes through. Let's, let's not let stuff come out of that thing. That's never been good when stuff comes out of that thing. I don't know why we still have it. I was pretty sure we blew it up, but it's still here and we don't want things coming through it. That was pretty much Burning Crusade. Wrath, guy's going to turn us all into undead monsters and end the world. Cataclysm, dragon's going to end the world. Mists of Pandaria, let's you and us fight over over resources. Oh, by the way, the we, Shah are back, and they're pieces of an old god that will probably destroy yeah. the world. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, the the, the main villain of of Mists of Pandaria is the Horde, uh, or at least the Horde's war chief. Yeah, and so that's you know that was kind of a let, let's you and me fight over resources. Oh wait, no, we're we're gonna have to take the same group because that guy's nuts. Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll accept that for now. But then, you know, after that, you go from Mist to Warlords. It's like, you know, the, that guy from the last game went off and opened the Dark Portal again. Not again! Yeah, and this time it's different. Stuff's Weird stuff's coming through. Weirder than the last time? Yeah. Alright, we're going through the Dark Portal again. Legion, we're going to destroy the world. Uh, uh, Battle for Azeroth. Let's fight over stuff. Oh, wait, no, old god. It's going to destroy the world. Now, oh, nope, turns out still death itself is going to destroy the world. Can we please have an expansion where the world is not about to be destroyed? The world at this point is like a car I can't let out of the freaking garage for five minutes. <laughs> it's, it's, seriously, it's like, you know, I bought this junker, but it I, it worked for a while, but now it just, I, everything breaks all the time. I have to keep taking it in. Azeroth is seriously, seriously a lemon, man. So, yeah, I, I would be totally okay. Uh, in terms of systems, though, I, I kind of... I did kind of jump onto that, and we didn't really talk about what system you'd introduce. So let's let you, Joe, talk about that. What system would you introduce? So actually, I think that the the mission table is not a bad template to use for sort of like a base version of this, only because the real system that I would want to put in place is not something I think can be done in an MMO. Um, if I could sail around the world like I can in Odyssey, or Valhalla, uh, or Black Flag, or any of those other places. Uh, heck, there's even a section in Kingdom Hearts where you can do it uh, and discover things as you're sailing around on a boat. That would be great. The problem is you can't exactly uh, have content that revolves around that. And instead, I would go something akin to the mission table, but go back to something that used to happen back in vanilla. Uh, we did a little bit about it in Battle for Azeroth, but not quite to the same aspect that war contributions had back then. There was this big event that, if you're not familiar with it, it was the opening of the AQ gates. And it was this big thing that took multiple weeks, and you had to contribute resources to it, and your faction contributed because... One player at one faction could ring that gong and cause the event to sort of kick off. And that's how you sort of found out who was going to do it. I'd bring up a similar idea back, but not necessarily like entire faction wide, but sort of framed in that same idea. You contribute resources. Uh, you contribute things that open up more sections of the world. You're equipping expeditions to go find continents, to go... To, for you then to go and investigate or make contact or whatever the case is. And it would make the world, something like that would make the world feel a little bit larger than it does right now. And it's not that the game world isn't massive. It's just that we keep getting told that our landmass is, you know, that's what we know. That's the world we know, but that might not be all there is to Azeroth. Now, Yes, there are some representations in game that people love to refer to that state, this is the known world, or this is the world according to the Titans, and this is everything. We don't know. And it's a great opportunity to sort of expand that, to have uh, other places where other races exist or other conflicts exist that, again, aren't maybe necessarily world-ending, but are big threats. Maybe we stumble upon an empire of warlike people that, you know, now that they know that there's more things in the world, now they're gearing up to, you know, sort of do raiding or whatever the case is. But you can have sort of that core mechanic where you're contributing to an expedition to go out into the world and discover more of it. And I like that idea. I like the idea of discovering more of Azeroth. And it's a cool way to frame different things between the patches or, or however you want to put it, where you're contributing to that next level of, of expansion, that next level of information gathering. Uh, they're sort of already touching on it a little bit with uh, 
Matthias and uh, Flynn, right? Where they're going to be exploring. And I think there's, a, I haven't read the book, uh, but there's a whole thing right now of them exploring things. And I think it's mostly local lands, but that could easily be, you know, we decided to go sail uh, east and keep going until we found something, whether it was Kalimdor uh, again or whether it was something in between. Because that's the other thing, too. When you're looking at the map, when we travel from one continent to the other, we travel near the Maelstrom before we go anywhere else. We travel in a very tight-knit grouping. There's not really a whole long travel plan yet. We don't go around the other way. Uh, so I would love to see something that, that does something like that and lets you contribute to you know, that actual effort to expand the known lands. What about you? Well... Mine is not so much about that, although it could be used for that. But there have been two things that have been introduced in the game over the years that it kind of never really went there they could have gone. One was the Caverns of Time, which I love. I think mm-hmm. the Caverns of Time is great. But it's it's been inherently limited by the fact that it basically became the place we stick dungeons and raids that are in some kind of altered time thing. Uh, or or in that the case don't make of, place anywhere else. Yeah, or make um, sense, excuse me. The one that really comes to mind is uh, as a weird addition to the Caverns of Time was the uh, Dragon Soul Raid, which is not taking place in an alternate time, but it's it's the follow-up of all the dungeons they put in. So they put the raid there, even though it doesn't really make sense. Um, but regardless, Caverns of Time exists. It's been limited by the fact that they felt they, they always feel the need to have a en- dungeon entrance or a raid entrance there to use it. They, it's always been based for that. The other thing is they had Lore Walker Cho and his ability yes. to just t- take you back into the past and show you little pieces of, of history, like kind of in a little play thing. And before that, they had, uh, I can never remember his name, I think Zebenkek. Uh, there's a there's an old Torin living in, in uh, the Storm Peaks in Northrend who's been alive for like 10,000 years, who who had an encounter with uh, Nosdormu and who's basically placed outside the flow of time as sort of an immortal timekeeper type. And we see them, they, they show up on the uh, Timeless Isle uh, the various other the I forget what they're called. I want to say the timekeepers or time walkers. Timekeepers, I think. Yeah, but but we see them there too. I I feel like having a feature or a, something where you go, you can basically actually play through and experience lost eras instead of just kind of hearing about them. Where imagine if you you know, and we've seen mechanics like that pop up from time to time. Like in Legion, there's a mission where you go back and you relive Hall and High Mountain during the, the events of, of the original War of the Ancients, you, you get little pieces. There's quests like you go back and you relive Illidan, you know, when he first realizes that I, the arcane isn't going to cut it against the demons, uh, when he basically sacrifices all the sorcerers who are currently working for him just to stop them. And you get a sense of this is why Illidan is the way he is sort of thing. They've done that a few times. But I feel like you could actually make a system out of it. Okay. You could have a, like a dungeon or you could have an expansion where... It's not necessarily about new lands, although it could certainly be new lands, and, and that way you could get to see the origins of those places. Like, you could go to this this island empire that's been around for 10,000 years, and instead of just seeing the places it is now, you could go like and see this is what it was like when the, the Sundering happened and this place got cut off, how they survived, how they became what they are. And you could totally make that t- t- like this past progression thing a part of the the setting, the part of the the expansion, where every place you go, eventually, as you as you progress enough in the present day, you'll learn enough about the people to construct the time like shrine, let's say, and then use that to go back and explore their past and and see that you know this is you could even be part of pivotal moments in their history, like you know, they, you know how did they survive the demons? It turns out they survived the demons because you went back in time and killed the demons as part of your adventure. You know, you straight up made it possible for these people to be alive now. They exist because you went back in time. There's time travel where it's kind of fun and interesting, and it isn't just, ooh, paradox. It's like, you know, this is what was supposed to happen. You were supposed to go back and do it, and you did. So there you go. Um, and you could use it in a variety of ways. If you made it something where it was it was tied into the caverns of time, where, like, you know, you're going on explorations, and the time, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the bronze dragonflight is not what it used to be. It, it can't really safeguard the timeways, so you're doing it. And yeah. that's part and parcel of what the the entire expansion could be. The expansion could be someone's got to safeguard the timeways and the, the bronze dragonflight can't do it anymore. So they're recruiting adventurers to help them because they've got to do it. Someone has to do this job. Otherwise, without 
without you, without the time, without the, the you know, the, the, the bronze dragon flight, without somebody to keep time secure, the old gods are just going to mess with it because they, that's what they do. That's what they have done in the past. They've shown absolutely no compunction about this. They, they will overwrite the present day with an alternate timeline. They will do all sorts of stuff. You have to go back and save it. And you could make that part of this whole thing. That could be the system, you know, collect, you know, and, and it could be as simple as, you know, collecting various time as a right, you know, it doesn't have to be you know, called that, obviously, but you could basically be collecting time element to, to power their time shrines so that they can they can actually send your party and back to pivotal moments. And thus, you have to do adventuring in the modern day to, to collect the, the knowledge of. You have to, to learn enough about a place to know where when to go. In other words, you have to like, oh, so this is what happened. Okay, now that we know that this is what happened, we go back. That and, kind of thing. And maybe it's a combination, too. Like, I really like that idea. And maybe it's a combination of getting those time fragments, but also doing the research and, and bringing in sort of that Lorewalker Cho aspect of it, where Lorewalker Cho is is helping you learn about these places in the past uh, and learning about it so that you can apply that knowledge to the time gate to take you where you want to go. And then there's another interesting aspect about that, which I, I, I just was thinking about as you're talking about this we still have the infinite dragon flight out there as well and even though we take care of uh nors dalmu's uh future self murazond uh, murazond uh he still has to get to that point right well for that matter just because he's been taking care of doesn't mean Murazon can't show up again because it can be Murazon from before you exactly. care of it. Exactly, but I mean, because it's time, it's time travel, guys. That's the way it works. Yeah, it gets weird. But I think it would be, it, it could be interesting to start to tell that story about how uh, he becomes Murazon. Maybe it's from our actions of gathering those timepieces. Maybe it's uh, in a, like in response to what we're doing with going through and like the creating the sort of paradox of time travel. Uh, because that seems like something that would potentially drive uh, uh, the aspect of time oh, slightly mad. And it would also tie in potentially to uh, if we start going to the Dragon Isles or or what the importance is therein. Uh, they could start bringing the dragons back into the storyline that way as well. Uh, where it's maybe they remember some of this stuff. Maybe they remember, uh, you know some of these past civilizations or yes, I remember this person like Alex Straza, like she is an aspect or was the aspect of life. Maybe she has an inherent understanding of these lives of things elsewhere on Azeroth that we've just never taken the time to sit and ask her about because it's always been one cataclysmic threat from one to the other for so long now that there hasn't been any time for us to sit down and say, Hey, you've been around for a long time. What can you tell me about Azeroth that maybe I don't know? Um, you know, it, it, there, there's a potential for that. We also have Ysera back. And Ysera, even though she's in Ardenweld, she lived a very long life. That's a good place that we could tap for maybe some more information on that. Especially in a place like the, the Shadowlands where, just like Lorewalker Cho, we can be shown things. We can be shown her memories. Because, and, and like I think this is kind of a, a, another cool thing, the theater in Ardenweld it's your memories of these events that they're putting on display as part of that play. That doesn't mean that you're the only one they can do this with. They could do this with, you know, Ysera and maybe, uh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And tell that story and give us that information. But I kind of like that idea uh, because you're right. There is that aspect of the game world that while we know of in writing, it would be completely different to experience. And the Hall and High Mountain stuff, that was one of my favorite sets of questing, like hands down. I thought it was incredibly entertaining. I super enjoyed the fact that we were getting to experience a piece of, you know, pivotal lore moment, essentially, and play through it. Even in that limited capacity, it was very, very cool to, like, have a hand on that and sort of participate in it. Doing that with other things, not a terrible idea. I think that's actually potentially very fun and telling us the land, like the stories that used to be part of this land, like going back and experiencing the war that was the black empire, like fighting that back, that could be a cool thing. And the only reason that it, it, you know, was pushed back was because we went back in time and did it. Uh, or, 
you know, any number of, of events that, that have happened. Cause there's been a lot of them. There's been a lot of wars. There's been a lot of conflicts with the different races that aren't necessarily modern, uh, that, you know, we could potentially have participated in and cause sort of that time paradox. I like that idea. I think that would be really, really fun. And now would that be the, that would be the crux of the story you would tell, or would you try to branch into anything new? I think what I'd want to do is make it be the central point of an expansion. Because if you make it the central point of expansion, it doesn't have to be something you do again. It doesn't have to come forward. Uh, and you don't... I think there's a certain degree, obviously, what Blizzard wants with these systems is to make systems that hang out for an expansion and then are gone. They, they want... side. There's a lot of sideways growth in these expansions where they have, okay, you've hit max level. Here now you progress along this path for the rest of this expansion. Then when the expansion ends... You leave that behind and go to the next thing, and there's a new. There'll be a new sideways progression. So I would want to design it that way, just so people could play in it and have it be a thing. But I mean, you could do that, and also you could do that and have it also be part of another expansion. Like for instance, you could do a South Seas expansion or a Vacation expansion, and have this system be a big part of the Vacation expansion mm-hmm. because you're not. It's not. You, there's no singular big bad, but time is under assault. And you spend this expansion, imagine if you spent an entire expansion, you know, trying to repair the timeways, trying to preserve the timeline, and at the end of the expansion you discover, okay, we thought it was the infinite dragonflight, but they're just, you know, the middlemen. It's really like X-Threat or Murozond has, they're trying to keep it so Murozond never dies. And so the next expansion, you confront them directly, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like now you go to wherever Murozond is. And you have an entire expansion. Perhaps he's like he's got some realm out of time. He's stitched together some anti-Azeroth of places that that don't exist in our world, but w- could have or did once or will in the future. And that's the next expansion. And so the system gets left behind, but it sets up what's coming next. So that the, the the theme is preserved, even if the actual system is. You know, you're not you're not doing. And one of the things that comes to mind to me is that you could make this part of archaeology, and you could make archaeology actually mean something again. Oh, it could be relevant again? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Because you, you have to do archaeological work, and you don't just make it, well, you have to go and do archaeology in order to progress this. You make it like archaeology itself is part of it. You don't have to level a skill anymore. It doesn't have to be like, oh, well, my, my archaeology skills leveled or I'm doing... No. But you do archaeological research. You go places. You, you explore the areas. Um, you fight monsters that are squatting in them, which is not really good archaeology. But you know, hey, it's, we're, we're we're not. If it's good enough for Indiana Jones, it's good enough for us. Yeah. But you 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 make that part of it too. It isn't just going and going to a place and talking to the native peoples there and and learning their what what they know about what what happened. You do archaeology. You go forth and find the lost city of Barg, and it turns out that Barg was destroyed in this great epic battle. And you're like, okay. Now I've I've found Bargian artifacts. I understand enough to know. I've got the tablet that would allow us to enter into the main gate, uh, and then you go back and you do you tie it into that. So you 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 have to find at least the right artifacts and get the the knowledge necessary to go back, and then you do the thing you have to do to preserve the timeway. And uh, I, and that I, all of it could basically be part of a system that you you would use across the entire expansion. And since it's all new lands essentially, like it's all places you haven't been before. Like if the, it could be the Dragon Isles and this place and that place, um, because it's all places you've never been before, you you need to learn a certain amount just to function there. But there's also the the you know timeway preserving thing. Like what are they looking for on these these lost places? Yeah, I mean it's it's and that's a really interesting idea too, right? Like that's a really good way to put all those items into it, and it also goes with something that we've been talking about for a long time, and this is actually a question that goes back probably a hundred or so episodes, uh, but we were asked way long ago, how would we change uh, professions to be more in line with like the story, to have them actually have meaning for what you're doing, and archaeology was the big call-out, and that would be a really great way to do it, because and this is probably a topic that we could talk about more on the regular podcast, but archaeology is this when it was introduced was supposed to be this this big window into the past and these civilizations and cultures of Azeroth and it was supposed to be this thing where we could explore and get information and story bits of all these different things and there is some of that in the same way of like the 
uh, Destiny 2 Codex uh, entries or Dark Souls where you have to read through the descriptions on items in order to get your story. This integrates it in a way that I think is better because you are experiencing it. You're using that skill. You're using that profession not as just this leveling thing, or maybe I'll get a cool mount or a pet or something. Instead, you're uncovering the secrets of the world, which is what it was always meant to be, or at least the way it was billed to be when it was first introduced. I really like that concept because I think it fits better. And then it's a really good vehicle for telling that story as well, because as you dig up more pieces of these civilizations and get more of that information, and maybe we go back to the thing where you find pottery shards or whatever uh and then you take it back for research uh then you can get your information and go that way but it also does something that i think hasn't been done in a long time probably since cataclysm i think uh which is like things like the league of explorers becomes important again right like you have this entire group of people that you know if you play hearthstone they have an entire expansion dedicated to them. Uh, but if you're in WoW, they were important for Cataclysm, maybe a little bit in vanilla, and then that was it. Uh, their purpose was to send you to, like, Un'Goro or uh, to send you to uh, these various places, and that was the entire thing. Then this becomes... No, they're helping you with your research. They're helping you uncover the secrets of the world and these past civilizations. Maybe, it, like you said, it, it, it pairs into that vacation holiday expansion thing where, yeah, oh, this is a civilization that, you know, we thought was long since exhausted or, or forgotten. But there's hints here that they sailed south. Maybe we can go there and get sort of this idea of uh, or little breadcrumbs to follow uh, to get to these places. Yeah, like you could you could totally be like, okay, we found out that a bunch of trolls got on some boats and sailed to this place because they didn't want to die when the world was flooding. Or mm-hmm. you know, you could have you could imagine you find a kingdom where trolls and night elves or the descendants of night elves are hanging out. They're just you know they live together. They they don't have any problem with it. They'd have no idea. They're like, yeah, that was ten thousand years ago. We've been living here for ten thousand years. Of course we get along. Yeah, or maybe yeah. Night, or maybe night trolls aren't gone. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things you could do, and you know. Because it was a great global cataclysm that destroyed one of the largest continents in the world, you've got plenty of possibilities. I mean, you saw Ashara tried to tried to save, you know, Zinashari with an enormous bubble and almost pulled it off. Maybe a bunch of, of wizards managed to save a smaller place. Maybe there's an underwater civilization right now that isn't Naga, that it's just a bunch of, like, you know, water-breathing night elves that they've become. Um, basically, it's Atlantis. Yeah. You know, and you don't, they, they're like, you know, yeah, we could definitely use some help with, against the Naga. So we've come back up to the surface because, you know, we need some help. Uh, not kelp. Haha, <laughs> very funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, but th- there's a ton of stuff you can do. You can just, and you can have pl- completely new places. You know, oh yeah, about 30, like about 20,000 years ago, this group of Rykul sailed away just to explore. And they, you know, this is where they ended up. And this is why we have these extremely tall people living on this island. Or and, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a small island. It could be like the size of Australia. You know, they've got this ima- this massive place they discovered. It's got its own like land on it. It's got its own creatures on it, and it's got this these settlement. You know, these people landed here and settled here, and it's then they've been here ever since. And it's their there's their place. And you could just you could have that be the start. Like the start of this expansion is all about these new discoveries and exploration and all that. And it becomes the time travel expansion because every place you go, something weird is happening. Like, we keep running into the Infinite Dragonflight. Why? Why are the Infinite Dragonflight everywhere here? Why aren't they Why aren't they on the mainland? What are they doing over here? Mm-hmm. You know, and that could lead to all that other stuff we just talked about. And I think that's enough on that one, unless you have anything else you want to add, but... I mean, you know, you know me. I can keep going, but I feel like <laughs> it's, it's been stated. But yeah, thank you for the question, Tetsemi. That was a very good one, and probably one we might revisit in the future. Um our last one today, possibly, we'll see how long it takes, uh, comes from Mementh. What do you think was the most unique story Blizzard has told in its properties? Now, that is a very interesting question. Um, I'm going to be up front and say that I don't know if unique has ever been Blizzard's strong point. <laughs> um, you know, not that I, and I love a lot of Blizzard games. I like a lot of their properties. Some of their best stuff has been very decidedly not unique, like mm-hmm. on purpose. Um, I'm, I'm 
one of those people that thinks like the Diablo series isn't trying to, you know, be unique. It's just trying to, it's actually trying to be an exemplar of its particular kind of kind of splatter punky storytelling. But yeah. uh, doesn't, I wouldn't say any of it was particularly unique. I would tend to agree but with you, that. You go, you go, if you got one. Yeah, you know what? So here's just kind of my two cents on it. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot of of storytelling that Blizzard has done that is, uh, I don't want to say par for the course, but is sort of cribbed from other places uh, or just pieces of a genre. So you have your, your splatter punk gothic dungeon diving adventuring that is Diablo. You have your... Uh, gritty neo sci-fi grimdark future that is starcraft and it is grimdark folks like it's just a different type of grimdark uh you have the high fantasy escapades of world of warcraft i think that the most unique modern story that they're trying to tell is overwatch and even that isn't totally unique but of the modern games I think it's the most unique. It's exploring ideas of, of like existentialism. It's exploring ideas of artificial intelligence, which is something that's just really now starting to become uh, a topic in gaming. Uh, you know, there, there are games out there that are starting to explore what if AI is, you know, living? What, what, what world would that look like then? Uh, and then it's sort of like the social aftermath of dealing with that. Uh, and yes, there's a lot of things that they, they take from real life and apply it into there. But out of all the modern games, I think that is the most unique. Um, and it definitely still even then borrows from movies and pop culture. Uh, and it looks at like comic books and pulpy nature of things and converts it into something and tries to make it almost its own exemplary thing, just like they do the other things or the other topics, the other genres and other stories they tell. Uh, but I, I think that it is in contention for probably the most unique story of the modern gaming. Uh, as far as the past ones, maybe Lost Vikings. <laughs> I mean, I could say rock and roll racing, but there wasn't really a story there. Uh, but Lost Vikings even then was uh, very... Hanna Barbera cart like cartoon ish storytelling of these three Vikings in ab absolutely obnoxious situations, uh, absurd situations, trying to figure out how to get out of them. At one point, being abducted by aliens, like there, there's a whole slew of things that you could go on there. But yeah, that that's my two cents. What about I mean, you? Keep in mind that it is still a World of Warcraft expansion, and it still has the World of Warcraft overarching themes of power corrupting um at one point i don't know if you guys saw this uh during his war chief gaming uh press release for the new game they're putting out chris metzen said you know i like stories about the corrupting cost of power and in work chat i think i said something like we've noticed chris you know because we have noticed that he does like that um and it's it's in there it's in mr pandari i kid i i love your work mr metzen you know i do uh but yeah, we have noticed that you like good story of corruption and possibly <laughs> redemption. It has come up. Uh, but I do think that Mists of Pandaria managed to be the most unique expansion they ever did. Um, yes, there's elements of the Shah and, you know, but the Shah isn't just about corruption. It's about you corrupting yourself mm -hmm. because the Shah are, they feed on your emotions and it's, it's, interesting how they their presence affected pandaria over ten thousand years where an ethos of you've got to keep your emotions under control you've got to keep yourself they didn't say you had to get rid of them they didn't argue you know you must not feel these things but they argued you have to control yourself you have to master them yeah that you can't be you can't be on you know out of control you you have to always keep yourself in check you understand what you're doing you have to and there's a, a very interesting that whole idea and the fact that this basically the pandering should start it off as a April fool's joke. Yep. I mean, yeah, they, that's they, kind of amazing. They legitimately were for those of you that don't remember, they were an April fool's joke and it didn't matter that Samwise had a, uh, a notebook or a sketchbook or several of them filled with artwork of Pandarans. <laughs> yeah. And as a result, I mean, when they finally came to the game, when they became something we actually got to see, uh, it is really very different than anything we'd seen before. In, in a way, it's kind of a blueprint for how do you do something completely new? How do you do something that's really not related to anything we've seen before? I think it's one of the reasons people keep talking about a South Seas or vacation expansion. For all that Mr. Pandaria wasn't really a vacation expansion, it did have a very big threat that was, you know, it still felt different. It felt new. 
Like, what is this? These, you know, all these new peoples we'd never seen before in this continent that we knew nothing about. They had their history and their struggles that we, you know, that we were not part of. That's, it, in a way, it is the most biggest diversion. It's it's a bigger diversion than Warlords, where we go to an alternate freaking universe, because that's still familiar. We, you know, Warlords of Draenor is very fascinating. I could sit down and talk about it all week. Just the concept of this entirely new expansion where it's a completely different timeline, but it's familiar because it's everybody. We know all these people. Yeah, like you go to these zones, you know these zones, you know this land, you know these people, right? Even if it's different, it's different than when it was when we went to Outland. It's recognizable. Like you can look at this and, you know, you can look at Frostfire Ridge and you can see Blade's Edge and you can see... Like, you know, okay, this is where, you know, Zangar Marsh was, you know, this, this is the Zangar Sea here, but it's where Zangar Marsh was. Okay. I get, I know where I am. Um, I, I recognize that this place existed. Um, but that's not the case in Mr. Pandaria. you you don't know any of it. You've never been to any of this. There's never been anything brought up like about it ever. And the story itself is actually the land. I, 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 I one of the things that I keep thinking about is, is how narrative can be, unveiled through environmental storytelling and one of the ways that happens in games is stuff like oh i found a a shard with you know this this little history bit on it or i've read this book in a library but sometimes the environment is the storytelling Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like when you go to jade forest for the first time there are these ancient temples and there's these like massive like you know the there's places that are these enormous peaks out in the water and the the place itself and the way they react to the invaders were like, you know, they're like, you know, you bring in a race war here. And it's like the idea of it, you know, that's kind of shocking. The first time you hear it, then they say, you know, you, you don't bring your race war here. And then you realize it is a race war. Yeah. And it's been one forever. And it's like it's one that doesn't seem to see stopping. It's orcs versus humans. Why is it still happening? Why can't these, you know, at what point, you know, each group has its its grievances when will they be when will they let them go can they let them go um and that's continued forward a big part of battle for azeroth and going forward is going to be how do the night elves possibly let it go yeah because there's there's a lot to do with that still like we we have not even gotten close to scratching the surface of that story but but i don't want to like i don't want to sidetrack here my point being mr pandaria it 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 told you a story by showing you these new places and showing you how people were living in them, which I how I would, I would argue that that's probably some of the best storytelling that they've ever done, which is why Mist is probably my favorite expansion. And it's it's certainly a very good expansion. It's not my favorite, but I do. I've always been very fond of it. It's, It's in my top group. I think in a lot of ways, I've always been very, very fundamentally depressed by and let down by wrath of the Lich King, which is my least favorite expansion. And part of that has been because so many people, I, I have an inherent thing when, when, when a hundred people line up to tell me how great something is and I didn't get that feeling from it myself. And then people start to really trying to get me to say it. That's when I start being like, wait a minute, why what's going on here? Why do people love this? Why don't I love it? And it makes me interrogate it. And I think a lot of what I don't love about wrath of the Lich King isn't the storytelling. It isn't the story of wrath of the Lich King. It's, the way the game tells the story. And what really comes to mind is uh, the Trial of the Crusader dungeon raid and dungeon. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Which, especially as a raid, sounded like a great idea. It sounded like, ooh, wow. But compared to Alduar, which is my favorite raid in that expansion, Alduar is a, is a trip. It's a, it's a story in of itself. When you go through it, the, the, the raid is telling you a story fight by fight as you move through it. You experience, this is what's happened in this place. This is the story of Alduar in encounter form. And that's that's the thing about, about MMOs is if you're reading a book, the chapters would be the things that happen, the conflicts that get resolved, the, uh, the experiences. That is encounter design in an MMO. That's those fights. Those fights are telling you a story. And Alduar does a great job. Trial of the Crusader doesn't do that job because there's nothing but those it just they just get dropped on you. There's no breathing room. There's no time to like take in what you just experienced. There's nothing to set up the next thing. The trash mobs you clear in a raid are the ne- that they're basically the 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 branching text the, the 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 introductory text that leads you to the next thing. 
they they introduce it they they give it context and that's not there um this is something i've been thinking about for a long long time in terms of game design is how games present you with story as part of gameplay and wrath of the lich king is very uneven partially because it ends up with fights like that plus it had you know you had to do the same raid four times like you had to do it on 10 normal 10 heroic 25 normal and 25 heroic it's like oh my bloody word I'm going to be in the same round room for like four times a week doing the same fights over and over again versus, um, you know, Ice Ice Crown Citadel itself, which is a masterwork of design and has like the story of of Ice Crown Citadel is much more clearly told. Whether or not you don't, you you, you find it schmaltzy when you get the his name was Dranosh bit. I know a lot of Horde players didn't didn't care, but it's think about what the, the encounter is telling you about Sorfang. It's it's putting you could not have had Sorfang from Battle for Azeroth without that that encounter. Yep. That encounter does more to make Sorfang a real person than anything ever did before or since. It was that moment. This is when he says, you know, I I have feelings. I cared about my son. I loved him. You know, I promised her that this that it, that he wouldn't be taken. I did everything, and yet here I am, and I just want his body back. The fact that Varian Rin gives the body back. I mean, I thought it, you know, I, I, I mean, I snickered a little when Jane was like, I'm just so proud of my king and all that. But there's still that moment with these two men. They're both men. The, the human orc thing is doesn't matter anymore. Because they are a, two fathers. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's a story of two fathers, not a story of an orc yeah. and a human. They're both fathers. They're both, you know, they've both fought in wars. They both know the cost. And in this moment, they recognize that. And that's the kind of thing that a, that a good raid encounter can do. And, and the Arthas fight itself, if you go watch it, it's a masterwork in showing you exactly that that part where everybody dies and Arthas is like, you know, now I'll raise you and you'll, you'll, it's like, you, this is the entire expansion. It's unfortunate that most people did not get to see it. That is the problem with encounter storytelling. That's the reason why it's got a, you know, you, you have to, to work harder to make this stuff central to your, your experience. Because that moment is the whole point of Wrath of the Lich King. And how many people got to see it? Maybe 10%. Yeah, and th- that's the problem. When you have Arthas going, you know, yes, finally, we're here at this moment. And you've got Tyrion say, you know, saying to Light, look, I, I, I'll never... I understand that what I'm doing right now is calling in everything and that this is the end for me. That even if this works, you'll never come again. And that's, by the way, that's why he died in Legion. Because the light had done its bit. Yep. He called to it, it answered. And there's just, to me, you know, going back to the originality aspect, Miss of Pandaria is absolutely full of that kind of storytelling that is just out in the world. The Shah encounters are out in the world. You're just out in the world and you see it happen. And that, to me, is why it's so original. It's not... The uniqueness of the story isn't necessarily the plot. The plot is, you you know, people go to a unspoiled lost land and spoil it. <laughs> you know, that's... When you come right down to it, it's, you know, here we are, the adventurers, the cause of the solution <laughs> to all your problems. But there's a, there's a uniqueness to how you are put into this place that is not like anything you've ever seen before. And you just experience it. That is something that I, I wish more. I think that's why we keep talking about vacation expansion or South Sea expansion or what have you. People want that again. Yeah. People want that experience again. They want to go someplace they've never been. And I think Shadowlands does it to a degree. But because Shadowlands has the first off, it's really weird to be wandering through the realm of the dead, and we all feel it. We all feel like this is weird, and we know it's weird. And that's fine, but it's it is something that we feel. And also, the stakes are so super high again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry, we do need to dial back on the stakes. I don't think we need to dial back on power. I don't worry that, you know, oh, I'm the center of events again. Because here's the thing. Even if you're playing, you know, Fizzity Miss M- M- McPussbucket, and your whole character arc is you're the stable boy, you always end up the center of whatever story you're playing through. Because you're playing through it. That's, that's just what happens in games. Right. But... I definitely feel like occasionally you could have a story that it isn't about how everything is going to explode unless your character sticks the widget of power into the MacGuffin of destiny. 
and 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 slays the big threat. Uh, you could have an expansion that's just about let's see what's out there. That's one of the greatest things about certain stories. One of the things that I loved about Star Trek as a kid was that every for every episode had a big thing going on. The overarching story to, story to arc of Star Trek was let's see what's out there. Yeah, to boldly go where no one has gone before. You don't have to do that every expansion, but you could definitely do it once or twice or three times. Yeah, I I don't really have any disagreement there. But I do think that's going to do it for today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, if you have questions for this podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, specify what show it's for, or hit us up on one of our multiple channels inside of the Blizzard Watch Discord. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, and we will see you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.